Well, again, good morning and welcome to Grumlaw. We really are, really are so grateful that you are here today, particularly if this is your first time with us, because listen, we totally get that walking into a new place can definitely feel intimidating. It can even feel a little bit risky, but we're so glad that you took that risk and decided to show up here today. So honestly, thank you for walking through our doors. Uh, today is a big day at, at Grumlaw here at our church uh, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, you know, it kind of marks the beginning of fall. Uh, all your kids are officially and finally back in school. A lot of you moms were, whoo, you were pretty psyched for that. Yeah, you'll notice that there's a, a lot of changes happen around here. If this is a place that you show up to on a regular basis, there's some programming changes, there's some aesthetic changes, uh, all really exciting things. As mentioned, we're starting a middle school program next week. Uh, we've had to expand a number of our kids' spaces, which again, an awesome problem to have. So again, so many cool and exciting things happening here. Also personally, just kind of exciting for me, um, you all show up here on a more regular basis. The whole summer vacation excuse is officially out the window. So I'm just like excited as I look around. I'm like, I feel like I haven't seen some of you in months and months. I know it hasn't been necessarily that long, but so glad that you're here. And then again, as mentioned, connect groups are starting this week. And truthfully, uh, those are the most important thing that we do here at Grumlaw. They are so vital to the mission and the vision of this church. So I'm so looking forward to connect groups launching here in just a couple weeks. You have three weeks to sign up for one and I would certainly encourage you to do so, but again, thanks for being here. Really, really exciting things happen around here. And uh, also exciting is this series that we're starting here today called Guardrails. Uh, a couple of years ago, God kind of put it on my heart to start this church up here in Grand Blank. And at the time, I actually didn't even know where it was going to be. I just knew that we were being called to do that. And uh, one of the very first documents that I put on my computer was a teaching calendar and specific topics. And this was the first series that I wrote down, guardrails. And uh, so I am really, really, really excited for this series and what we're going to be talking about here. Now, I'm confident of this, that you all do know what a guardrail is, right? That probably doesn't need a lot of clarification. But just to make sure that we're on the same page and just to make sure there's no confusion, I'm going to kind of give you the official definition of a guardrail. It's going to be important that we kind of understand this as we dive into this content here over the next five weeks. A guardrail is this. It's a system. It's not just a thing. It's a system designed to keep vehicles from straying. We're going to kind of hone in on that word there. From straying into dangerous or off limit areas. Now, one of the more interesting things about a guardrail is that you really don't notice them. I doubt any of you have been like driving along and you're like, man, I mean, just look at all these guardrails. I doubt any of you have taken a minute to admire the placement of a guardrail, but I would actually challenge you today on, on your way out of here, wherever you're going afterwards, whether you're going out to eat, whether you're running back home, just kind of look around and notice guardrails. They are literally everywhere. I mean, it would be amazing to know how much money our government has poured into guardrails. And again, you almost never notice them until, when you know it, until you need one. And what's worth noting when it comes to guardrails, and this is really going to be one of the things that we're zeroing in on during this series, is that they aren't actually located in the most dangerous areas of a roadway. A guardrail will typically actually sit on, on a piece of land that you could, if the guardrail wasn't there, that you could drive on. Think about it. The point of a guardrail is to not keep you from driving on the piece of real estate that the guardrail happens to sit on, but it's to keep you from driving on the piece of real estate that lies beyond the guardrail. They're there to keep us from moving into an actual area of danger. And nobody ever actually argues the placement of a guardrail, right? None of you have ever been driving and thought, this is so irritating. Why did they put this right here? I wish they would put it like eight feet closer to the edge of the cliff. We are missing out on some really good driving space right here. I mean, come on, road commission, pull it together. No, we understand that in driving, it's important that we have some margin for error. That because of a guardrail, if you happen to run into one, 
You'll do far less damage to you, to your vehicle, than if you were to run into whatever lies beyond the guardrail. Now, chances are you didn't show up here today hoping to learn about the various products that fall under the scope of the Road Commission. But the reason that I give you all that information, why it really is pertinent to what we're gonna be talking about here over the next five weeks, uh, is because we're not just gonna be talking about guardrails when it comes to driving, but the use of guardrails in, in each and every single one of our lives, because the truth is, and I assure you, this isn't just a Christian thing. This isn't just like a churchy thing, if you're a Jesus follower or not. This is an everyone thing. This is a, a people thing, and it's one of the things that I get so excited about for this series because it is so incredibly applicable to every single one of our lives, even if you never make that decision to follow Jesus. And that's this. I'm gonna go to that next slide. Your greatest regrets, your greatest regrets, whether you're a Christian or not, could have been avoided if you would have had some guardrails in place. Your greatest moral regrets, your greatest financial regrets, your, your, your greatest regrets sexually, your greatest regrets in your marriage, your greatest regrets in parenting, your greatest regrets could have been prevented. They could have been avoided if you would have had some guardrails in place. And that's what we're gonna be doing in this series. We're gonna be taking this very, very common piece of imagery and applying it to different areas of our lives. In fact, we're gonna be applying it to those areas of, lie, of our lives where regrets most frequently stack up. And so, with that in mind, kind of our new definition for a guardrail as we think about them and as they apply to our lives is this. A standard of behavior, a standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. In this series, we're gonna encourage every single one of you, again, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, we're gonna encourage all of you to develop personal, which means they might not apply to everyone and anyone else. We're gonna encourage you to develop personal standards of behavior that become a matter of conscience, that serve as guardrails in your life. Now, the reason that I say a matter of conscience is, again, when you are driving and if you happen to run into a guardrail, it will absolutely cause some damage. There'll be some scrapes, there'll be some scratches, you might even have to replace a bumper, it will absolutely create some damage, but far less damage will be caused by running into the guardrail than if you were to run into, again, whatever lies beyond the guardrail, the sea of trees, the oncoming traffic. And we wanna help you, all of you, develop behavioral practices that you are so committed to, that you are so committed to as an individual, that when you violate them, it bothers you. It feels like in those moments you have done something wrong, even though in and of itself it might not actually be wrong. Uh, I wanna give you an example of this. One of the guardrails that my wife and I, that we have in our marriage as it relates to the use of our electronic devices is that we don't go on any form of social media past nine o'clock which, as I admit that to you, sounds kind of embarrassing, but that, that's the thing. I mean, it gotten to a point where we just felt like, okay, we, we need to create some boundaries with this. So after nine o'clock, my wife and I don't go on any form of social media. And we did that for a couple different reasons. One, I know some of you guys are gonna argue otherwise. For the most part, social media is pretty mindless. We just found ourselves looking at stuff. It was adding no value to my life. It was adding no value to my wife's life. So we're like, we should probably maybe cut it down a little bit. Another reason was because at the end of the night, our kids would be in bed and we would find ourselves sitting on the couch, not even talking to each other. We'd both just be staring down at our phones and we're like, this is kind of pitiful. Like we are avoiding conversations so we can again, look at stuff that doesn't really add any value. And then the third, and this is me being really vulnerable. And I think most guys, if you get them in a corner would admit to this, there are certain things on social media that I shouldn't be looking at. 
There are certain things on social media that, that I know, and I know this is true for women too, but probably more so for guys. There are certain things on there that I know that I shouldn't be viewing. And I know that I could grab that content at noon in the middle of my workday, but for whatever reason, for most males, I think they would agree, I got more tempted to click on those things, to look at those things that I shouldn't be looking at at night. And so we said, okay, for all those reasons, none of them necessarily more important than the other, we're gonna create a guardrail here. So that being said, it's not wrong. There's nothing necessarily wrong with me clicking on the Instagram icon at 9.01 p.m., but it has become such a matter of conscience for my wife and I that if I do kind of mindlessly click on it, and it happens every once in a while, it'll be like 11 o'clock, and I'm just looking at my phone without thinking, I tap it on it. And as soon as I tap on it, almost immediately, my conscience lights up. It feels like I have done something wrong. I have bumped up against that guardrail and internally alarms and red flags are going off. And I know that if I ignore that guardrail, it might very well lead me to areas that are gonna be difficult to recover from. And so our hope through this series, again, is that all of you, whether you are a Christian or not, would begin to place some personal guardrails. Again, they might not apply to everyone else. Some personal guardrails in your own life in order to avoid future regrets in order to keep you out of the danger zone. Now, we're not gonna to spend too much time here, but this is certainly worth mentioning. It does have a little bit to do with what we're gonna be talking about today. Uh, in our culture, there are certain behaviors, there are certain actions, there are certain things that almost everyone agrees are bad. Even in our pretty depraved society, there are dangers beyond the guardrail that almost everyone agrees are wrong. And our, our, our society kind of has a way of reinforcing the, these cultural guardrails into our heads through marketing, through advertising, through things that we consume online, through things that we consume when we're watching TV, through movies, etc. One of those cultural guardrails that we see very common, commonly is this idea of drinking responsibly. Drink responsibly. Now, I don't think anybody disagrees with that notion that you should drink responsibly. I, I think that that's certainly a good idea. I've never seen anybody on the front lines, you know, arguing that you should drink irresponsibly. But drink responsibly isn't really a guardrail. It's too vague. It's like this thin little white line on the side of the road. And that's kind of the nature of drinking because some of you probably have stories where you've gotten to that line, you've kind of gotten to that point between responsible and irresponsible. Wouldn't you know it, once you get there, you don't really care because it's the nature of booze. And you probably look at the person next to you like, I think we might be getting irresponsible. And they're like, heck yeah, let's have another one. No big deal, drink responsibly. Another one that we see is practice safe sex. Practice safe sex. Again, I think that that's a good message. I would certainly advocate for practicing safe sex, but again, that's not a guardrail. That is like this thin little tiny line. It's not gonna keep you away from future regrets. It is too vague because guess what? People have been extra, extra safe and she still gets pregnant. People are super safe. And when you know it, STDs are still contracted. People are like extra safe. I mean, they're like, mm, they're, they're safe. And when you know it, feelings still get hurt. Lives get messed up for a long, long time, if not forever, even when people are being extra, extra safe. Those aren't guardrails, they are yellow lines, they are warning signs at best, but they're not gonna keep you out of the danger zone. They certainly will not keep you from having future regrets. In our culture, as you'll find, if you begin to set up these personal guardrails in your life, our culture does not really embrace guardrails. Our culture does not appreciate guardrails. People will tell you it's overkill. Your friends will tell you that you're being hyper-conservative, that you're taking this religion thing just too far. Coworkers will tell you that you're being stupid. People will tell you that you're being legalistic, and we'll talk about that. It's not legalism. 
People will roll their eyes at you and think, oh, come on, aren't you taking this religion thing a little too far? But ironically enough, those same people do agree that on the other side of the guardrail, there is danger. And even more interesting, those same people that will mock you, that will scoff at you for actually having guardrails in your life, those will be the same people, the first people to make fun of you and ridicule you when you do find yourself in the danger zone. Those same people that will look at you and think, really, you're an adult? You have a budget? You can go out to eat with us? Come on, it's not that big of a deal. Come on, come on. Those same people that will tell you, come on, you deserve a new car. Seriously, you're gonna keep driving that hunk of junk? Lease something, it'll be great. Those will be the same people that'll mock you and scoff at you when you find your home in foreclosure when you can't afford those car payments. Those same people that will roll their eyes and think, oh my goodness, are you serious because you won't go out to eat with somebody of the opposite gender that isn't your spouse? Those will be the same people to mock you and laugh at you when you find yourself in an affair. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Now here's the, the cool thing and it's yet another reason why I would advocate that every single one of you, no matter where you find yourself on this faith journey, whether you're a Christian or not, that you should pick up and start reading the Bible. We have free Bibles in the back every single week. You can also download a really incredible app called the Version, just how it sounds, Y-O-U version. It's totally free, it'll never cost you a thing. Start reading this stuff, because this stuff that we're gonna be talking about in this series is all over the Bible. And these are some of the verses, oftentimes, that can be really confusing to people, but we have to remember, that God is talking to us in scripture as our heavenly father. And this is what any good father would do. Now some of you, you had that experience growing up. You have an incredible father at home. Others of you, you wish this is the kind of father that you would have had. They give us advice. They give us wisdom to keep us away from future regrets, to keep us away from the danger zone. God, our heavenly father, he gives us boundaries that are so far from the abyss that are so far from the danger zone that if you do have a conflict, it's a little dust up. It's a tiny wreck. It's something that you can completely recover from as opposed to going off the cliff and never being able to fully recover. And I'm telling you, even if you aren't a Jesus follower, even if you make that decision, you never make that decision to put your faith in Jesus, you should start reading the Bible. You should still, at the very least, apply the teachings of Jesus to your life because they will undeniably make your life better, whether you are a Christian or not. Now, what we're gonna do today is we're gonna jump into the fifth chapter of a book uh, called Ephesians. Ephesians is actually a letter. Uh, we find it in the New Testament in the second half of the Bible. It's a letter written by this guy named Paul who, in fact, you know, wrote a really good chunk of the New Testament. And he writes this, this letter to this church in Ephesus was the name of this area. Now, believe it or not, Ephesus, back at this point in history, was actually a more depraved, a more immoral, a more amoral society than what we are even experiencing now, which I know maybe sounds a little bit outlandish. But to give you an example of that, one of the things that was really encouraged in Ephesus at this point in history was to have affairs. Adultery was encouraged because they looked at it as an act of worship uh, to the gods that they were serving at that time. How convenient is that? Now, what Paul does when he opens up this letter, he goes through this long list of do's and don'ts. He's like, hey, you should do these things. You shouldn't do these things. He, and again, he's talking to the Christians, the people that would call themselves Jesus followers living in this really rough area called Ephesus. And so he's going, do, do this, don't do that. You should do this, you can't do that. And while he would have been writing this, and while they would have been hearing this, they would have been agreeing with him. They're going, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then Paul, sensing, sensing that, yeah, meanwhile, they are agreeing with him, but, but they're struggling with the how. They're sitting there going, okay, Paul, yeah, we absolutely agree that you shouldn't commit adultery, that you shouldn't lie, that you shouldn't cheat, but how do you pull that off? 
How do you actually, practically speaking, how do you manage that in a society that is so actively trying to pull you in the opposite direction? How do you actually live like that? And Paul's sensing that, that they're struggling with the how. He explains how it is possible to live differently in a culture that so frequently falls off a cliff, in a culture that so frequently wraps itself around a tree. Here is how you stay on the road and you avoid all that. Here's what Paul says. He says, be very careful then. He's like, watch out. Be very careful then how you live. Now, this word that we have here, live, and I, I say this often, but the New Testament, for those of you that don't know, was uh, largely written in Greek originally. And this word that we have here, live, in Greek, actually literally translated means walk. And in fact, in some of your translations, depending on what Bible you might be reading out of, it might actually say walk there. He's saying, be very careful how you walk. You know what's not a very fun experience? Stepping in dog poop. It's pretty brutal. It's happened to me like four or five times in my life and every single time I have the same reaction. <sighs> I might just throw these shoes away. <laughs> right, I'm just like, I don't even want to deal with this. This is brutal. Uh, my wife and I were over at friends of ours recently and they have a dog and normally they're really, really good about cleaning up but for that day, for whatever reason, we were up by the house and as soon as we got there, our daughter Logan was just kind of like running around in the yard and I thought it was okay time, I better go you know, corral her and bring her up near the house and as I start walking out of the yard, I'm like, oh no, oh no. Oh no, I mean, there were bombs everywhere. It was the danger zone. I was like, oh my goodness. And here's my daughter going, boom, boom. And I'm like, if he, she has not stepped in one of these things yet, that is a miracle. And I, so I said, Logan, stop. And she stops right where she's at. She's like, why, Dada? I'm like, be careful. Why? I'm like, there's dog doo doo everywhere. Stay where you're at. And I carefully weaved through the piles and went and scooped her up and brought her back to the house. And this is exactly what Paul is telling us here. He's saying, be careful. Be careful how you walk. As you walk through and you navigate life, be careful. He says, be very careful then how you live. Go to the next one. Not as unwise, not as careless, but as wise, keeping your eyes open, making the most of every opportunity. Making the most of every opportunity, again, actually literally translated means redeeming your time. Be very, very intentional with how you use your time. There are a lot of distractions out there. There's a lot of stuff that might lead to regret. So be careful. Be very, very intentional. And why? And he goes on to tell us why. Why? Because the days, the days are evil. You are living, in case you didn't know, in dangerous times. If you aren't careful, you will roll your car. You'll swerve into oncoming traffic. You'll wrap the car around a tree. If you are not intentional, if you just live by the principle of, okay, whatever happens, happens, regret is going to happen. And why is that going to happen? Because again, the days are evil. Now, I don't think we need to spend too much time here in convincing you that the days are evil. Uh, there were people over at our house on, on Friday night, and we were actually talking about like how commonplace like shootings have become, like mass murders, where there was one that happened that morning and by that evening, it wasn't even in the newsfeed anymore. Isn't that crazy? We live in a world where, where there's websites like Ashley Madison that encourage people to have an affair. In fact, their tagline is, life is short, have an affair. They have 30, I looked this up, they have 39 million active members across the world. The days, the days are certainly evil. And then he says this, therefore, do not be foolish. Therefore, don't be foolish, don't be careless but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, this is kind of a strange thing that he does here because he's commanding us to understand something. 
which is strange, right? That, that, that would be like your children coming to you and being like, okay, I, I don't get this whole multiplication thing. Why does five times five equals 25? And you look at them and you go, because it does. Just understand it. And they're like, well, can you maybe explain a little bit? No, just understand it. Five times five equals 25. I mean, that seems a little counterintuitive. You either get it or you don't. But here's what he's saying, and this is actually a, a pretty big idea. He's saying to every single one of us, I want you to face up to, I want you to embrace I want you to accept what God's will for your life is. His plan for you as it relates to your friendships. His plan for your life as it relates to your finances. His plan for you as it relates to your parenting, as it relates to your marriage, as it relates to your dating relationships. Stop deceiving yourself. Stop playing games. Stop pretending. Embrace God's will face up to God's will for your life. He's kind of given every single one of us, whether you're a Christian or not, kind of this firm slap on the back of the head because every single one of us, come on, we, we know this to be true. We don't really like to admit it, but we like to flirt. We like to get as close to the danger zone as we possibly can. And again, we, we would never actually admit this out loud, but come on, you know this about you. We ask ourselves this question all the time. How close can I get to the line without actually sinning. Where's that line? And I'm gonna try to get as close to it as I possibly can. For years and years, I worked in different facets of, of student ministry, you know, volunteering. And, you know, I, I just have a heart for high school guys because I think it's a really, really hard time to live and, and more so every single year that goes by, it seems even more difficult to, to survive as a, as a young man that, that loves Jesus, uh, you know, in the society with which we live. But one of the most common questions that I would get from high school guys, and don't judge them for this, but I would get it all the time. I'm not gonna say weekly, but if I was meeting with these kids every single week, I mean, at least monthly, one of the kids would ask me this question. How far can I go with a girl? Where, where's the line? How far, I mean, what can I do physically with somebody of the opposite sex before, before it's called like, like a sin? And I would always respond to them one way. I'd put them through this little exercise and say, okay, close your eyes right now, and I want you to take this seriously. And so they'd sit there, and they'd, they'd close their eyes, and they'd say, okay, do you want to get married someday? And every, every time, you know, whether it was a group or just one guy, they'd sit there, and they'd be like, yeah, yeah, okay. Take this seriously. I really think about this. Okay, yeah, I want to get married. Okay, so your wife's out there right now, somewhere in the world, and they'd sit there, and they'd think about it, okay? I'm like, picture her. Picture the color of her hair, what she looks like, the things she likes, the things she doesn't like, and I'd, I'd kind of let them just bask in that for a minute, and they'd all start going like this. And get these grins on their face, right? Because they're picturing like the most gorgeous girl in the planet, right? And they sit there and I say, okay, your future wife is in the backseat of a car right now with her current high school boyfriend. And then they start, okay. And they're kissing. How much further do you want her to go with her current boyfriend? And they, well, no further. I don't want them to do anything else. I'm like, well, that's maybe how far you should go with, with your, your current girlfriend or the girl that you are active with physically right now. But the point that I was making to them, that Paul is making to every single one of us, he's saying you are asking the wrong question. Stop flirting. Stop getting right to the edge of the disaster. Stop getting as close to the danger zone as you possibly can. Face up, come on, you know, face up to what God's will is for your life. Face up to what you know God wants you to do. And then he gives us an example. He says, do not get drunk on wine. 
Now, before we kind of go any farther right now, I, I kind of want to just pause and talk about this for a minute because this can be such like a lightning rod topic among Christians, among you know, people that go to church, among different churches. It can be such a lightning rod topic between uh, you know, people that don't go to church and people that do go to church, this whole topic of drinking. So I'm just going to be clear and kind of let you know where I stand on this, where Grumlaw stands on this. I don't believe that drinking, that consuming alcohol is a sin. I can't find anything in scripture. I can't find anything that came out of Jesus's mouth that would necessarily support that, that the drinking is a sin. I do see plenty of evidence that, that getting drunk happens to be a sin. Now, I'll also say this, just because something isn't explicitly mentioned as a sin or not a sin, th that should not be your litmus test as to whether or not you participate in that activity. Some of you, based on your, your position in a company, some of you, based on the influence that you have in your family, some of you, based on the friends that you have and how they've been damaged by alcohol, you should not drink, not because it's a sin, but because of how that might affect another person. And I'll also say this, and, and again, some of you, you might argue the alternative, um, alcohol never really helps anything. Now, maybe that's just, that's just me and my experience. Now, granted, I do hear one side of that story. I don't think people are going to come up to their pastor and be like, hey, I had a great night last night drinking with my wife. I'm like, way to go, buddy. Like, that's awesome. Most people, the conversations I have and the emails I get and the texts that I receive are how marriages are being ripped apart because of somebody abusing alcohol, about how families are being destroyed because of an alcoholic father about how friendships are being ru ruined because of alcohol. In other words, I've never heard the couple come to me and say, you know what, our marriage, it was really on the rocks. We didn't know what we were gonna do. We thought we might get divorced. But then we started drinking together. <laughs> that solved it. I've never heard the story where somebody's like, yeah, I was going through a really, really brutal divorce and like, I, I didn't know what was gonna happen there and like, the wheels were falling off, but then I found booze and, and that really, really solved it for me. And that's all Paul's doing here. He's finding this piece of common ground. He's not trying to necessarily single out alcohol. He's just finding a piece of common ground, which I find it kind of ironic that here we are 2,000 years later and it's still probably the most popular piece of common ground that he could have come up with. So again, he's not condemning it. He's just using it as an example. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Anybody get debauched last night? Didn't expect to see a lot of hands there. Deba debauchery is kind of this archaic term, right? We, we don't really use that word very much in, in, our, in our vocabulary, but it simply, simply means this. It's excessive indulgence in sensual pleasures. And here's what Paul's teaching us. He's saying, if you are a Christian, and so if you're not a Christian, you're kind of off the hook here, but if you call yourself a Jesus follower and you consume alcohol, at the very least, you should not get drunk. And not because getting drunk is necessarily a sin. That's not what Paul's saying here. He's not maybe taking a stance on whether drunkenness is a sin or it's not a sin. He's saying, don't get drunk because of what so commonly happens when you get drunk. You tend to make more foolish decisions. You tend to go down a path that leads to regret. Getting drunk often leads to making decisions that everyone agrees, Christian or not that everyone agrees are wrong. And so if you're a Christian, at the very least, when it comes to drinking, your guardrail should be that you don't get drunk. That if you're ever in a situation and you find yourself butting up against that guardrail, internal alarms go off, your conscience lights up, you feel like you are doing something wrong, even though in that moment it might not necessarily be wrong yet and you change your course of action. And again, he's using this as an example because it's so common. 
but it's really anything that leads to a loss of control, that baits us towards things that we don't need to be involved in. In those situations, every single time, our heavenly Father is against it. And why? The same reason that you'd be against it for your kids. Because on the other side of it, often lies complete disaster. Any situation, any situation where you have a tendency to hand control over to someone or something else, you need a guardrail. And so he's not saying that you need to stop drinking. Some of you do. But for those of you that do drink, he's saying you need a guardrail. And if you call yourself a Jesus follower, at the very minimum, it must be that you don't get drunk. And again, not necessarily because drunkenness is a sin, but because of what else drunkenness often leads to, a loss, a lack of control. And then he contrasts it. He says this, he says, instead, conversely, be filled with the Spirit. The point that Paul is trying to make here, he's saying, your heavenly Father, God, he desires to be the preeminent influencer in your life. When you put your faith in Jesus, when you decide to become a Jesus follower, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and desires to be the predominant influencer in your life. And it's oftentimes not through this loud, boisterous voice that comes down and says, Shay, don't do that. It's usually with the Holy Spirit far more subtle than that. It's a little nudge. It's a prompt. It's a whisper. Oftentimes it's the Holy Spirit going, <clears throat> you get closer and closer to the danger zone and the Holy Spirit goes, <clears throat> and you back up. And I also want to say this, for those of you that, that, that are sitting here today and, and you're still using the I didn't know argument, you're still trying to claim ignorance and just be like, I, I didn't know that I, I, didn't know that, that I shouldn't have called her. I didn't know that, that going to that was going to be a bad idea. It's time for you to face up to yourself and stop lying because you know. And here's how I know that you know. Because every single one of us was born with this little thing called a conscience. And a conscience does not get transferred to us upon becoming a Christian. It is intuitive, we all have it. It tells us the difference between right and wrong. And when your conscience begins to light up, Paul's encouraging you, and I'm encouraging you, and Jesus is encouraging you, and most importantly, your heavenly Father He's encouraging you to listen to it. Listen to what God's will is for your life. Because the truth is, and think about this, none of us plan to mess up our lives. To all you married couples out there, this has never happened. None of you stood on the altar and thought, man, I can't wait to screw this up. None of you plan to mess up your marriage. But plenty of you, are not making plans not to. Nobody plans to mess up their life, but most people don't plan not to because most people, unfortunately, do not create boundaries. They do not establish guardrails. And do not be so naive. Do not be so foolish to think, okay, I just think God's gonna protect me. Holy Spirit's just gonna, gonna kind of have me covered. Believe it or not, this is how. This is how God protects you. I'll just be careful. Everybody says that. That is not a guardrail. 
One of the most practical guardrails that every single one of you, I'm gonna implore you, you should all get into a connect group. Connect groups, I'm not just saying this to save face because it's connect group day. Connect groups are the single most important thing that we do here at Grumlaw. They are so much more important than what goes on here on a Sunday morning because there are things that happen in circles that will never take place in rows. Christianity was never meant to be just about you. Christianity was always meant to be about community. In fact, the word that we get our word church from has nothing to do with the building. It's this word called ecclesia. means assembly, community, congregation, groups of people. If you try to go at this whole Christianity thing, being a Jesus follower by yourself, if you try to take steps towards God completely independent and of yourself or just with your spouse, I'm telling you, you will fail 100% of the time. It's the power of groups. It's one of the most ironic things about groups. They're really, really hard to measure their success. We have no way of measuring how many marriages have been saved as a result of connect groups. We have no idea how many relationships have been restored as a result of connect groups. We have no idea how many young people are that much more equipped to become parents as a result of connect groups. But you're not meant to go at this journey alone. Again, it's just groups of people getting together and diving a little bit deeper into what we talk about here on Sunday mornings. It's a group of people that know you and you know them. Surround yourself with other people who are also moving towards God. It doesn't necessarily mean that every single one of you are on that same point on that faith journey, but you're all moving towards him. Other people who are also trying to face up to what God's will is for their lives. As we wrap up, I want you all to kind of think about this. Your heavenly father loves you so much. He cares about you so much that he warns us, be careful how you live. Be wise. Be intentional. Get ahead of this. Believe it or not, God does not want you living with regrets. It's possible to avoid all this stuff. Carefully redeem your time. We all need personal standards that become a matter of conscience, and you need one of those guardrails in every single area of your life where you have a tendency to have control over to someone or something else. And so, over these next five weeks, that's what we're gonna be doing. Talking about some of the most obvious areas that every single one of us, whether you're a Christian or not, should have guardrails in our lives. Friendships, relationships, money, our sexuality, but for a lot of you, as I've been talking right now, there's already something in your brain. You know that there's an area of your life right now where you are currently flirting with disaster, where time after time you find yourself really, really close to the danger zone, and chances are your heavenly father probably wants to start right there, and you do not need four more messages on this stuff. Paul would say, And most importantly, your heavenly father would say, don't be foolish. Be careful. Face up to what God's will is for your life. Set up a guardrail today. And guess what? You will never regret that. It's never, ever happened. But there are plenty of examples of people who wish they had. Your greatest regrets, your greatest regrets could have been avoided if you would have had some guardrails in place. So be wise embrace, face up to God's will for your life.